I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Have you ever watched an apocalyptic sci-fi movie and wondered, could any of this really happen? I'm Carrie Bechet, and on Hypothetical, we explore what-if questions two ways, through speculative science fiction and through insight from the world's most brilliant scientists. And spoiler alert, your favorite sci-fi movies aren't nearly as far-fetched as you may think. Time travel with me into our possible futures on Hypothetical. New episodes every Tuesday available on all podcast apps. That's Hypothetical, H-Y-P-E-R-T-H-E-T-I-C-A-L. Hey everyone, welcome to Let's Get Civical. This is the podcast that breaks down politics, government structure, and dives into the context of current events, but in a super fun way. I'm Lizzie Stewart, comedian, feminist, and political junkie. And I'm Arden Walentowski, former Senate intern, campaign staffer, and political strategist. In this episode, we're talking about Al Capone. So grab your tax return. And let's get civical. Hello, every single one of you. Oh, hello. Welcome back to Let's Get Civical. I'm Lizzie Stewart. I'm so glad you are, because I'm not. I'm Arden Walentowski. And I couldn't be more relieved that you are, because Uh, I never could. I never could. Could never step into your shoes. Could never be Lizzie. It's much too big of a role to fill. I the feeling is mutual and what's amazing is I feel like we're both one of a kind and so is the person in which we're talking about today oh my god there's nobody like him there's There's nobody like him there hasn't been anybody like him since complicated figure in our history but 
I'm so excited. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. <laughs> this is definitely one that I feel like is for me and uh-huh. you and nobody else. And no, it's yes. Specifically for you, there were notes in here that I was like, hmm, these need to go to Lizzie's going to love this. Lizzie's well, I mean, the sources alone are just. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. The I mean, yummiest trio of sources. When I saw these, I was like, Arden has given me a gift on a little silver platter. Yeah. And has called it Al Capone. Yes. Al Capone. <laughs> the sources that Lizzie is speaking of is, of course, history.com. We go nowhere Obviously. without her. The FBI, because, I mean, duh, it's Al Capone. Duh. And Hello. The Mob Museum, which we yes. absolutely need to investigate further and see if it's further. near a presidential library and if we could, like, also go when we go to one of those. Yeah. Big into the mob. My <gasps> my partner and I are big mob people, mm. just in the sense of, like, anytime there's a mob documentary, anything about the mob, we are. I am. I know the five families. I know... Oh my god! Down. Oh my god! The intricacies. <gasps> it's such an. It's to me such a fascinating. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. Like fascinating, like thing that happened. Like the 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 height of the mob era, basically. Right. And just the structure of it all. I just there. I just there hasn't been anything like it before or since. Or since. Um, I'm, my sense of like the mob was that. I think it was. I mean, all I know is, like, from Hollywood. And so in my mind, mm. it's like, you know, these, like, gunslinging, you know, fast-shooting hey, guys. And they're, like, making their money. I'm and, a made guy. And, and, mm-hmm. and But, like, you know, they're all killing each other. and But, like, it yeah. just seems so, like, Hollywood-ized. Do you know? It just seems so hyped sure. up. But, like, after Well, there's reading definitely, this, like, a glamorization of it that is, totally. like, not, not appropriate considering these mostly men were you know uh criminals and incredibly violent yes and yes like there was a organ like an organization within the mob called murder inc what which was just like a crew of guys who their job was to go and murder people and they wow. of course came up with a name yeah it, like th- these are these are horrible people al capone is a horrible person so let me be clear on that but i think what's interesting about the mob specifically with al capone as well is just how how tangled up they were with like not crime organizations like how tangled up they were in politics how tangled up they were with the police how tangled up they were in literal like the reason why they were able to function is because they pretty much had the backing of everybody until they didn't, right? Because they you know, bought like, everybody off, right? It was they like, bought everybody off. Or they killed them. They bought off the cops. They bought off Washington. They bought off everybody. And then slowly, very slowly but surely, the government kind of decided, oh, no, actually, we're going to actually go after organized crime now. Right. And that's when we started trying to take down people like Capone and all of that stuff. So Ooh. it's it's a wild it's a wild phenomenon that happened that I don't think has happened as in such a scale since. Right. That makes sense. Cause it yes. was such a massive scale. So with that said, I just want to jump right in because I'm so yes! excited. I'm so excited. So this episode is all about Al Capone because 
a lot to do with him, a lot to do with him and the government coming after him. And I think his rise and fall is very, very interesting. Yeah. So everybody buckle your seatbelts. There's like the reason we chose this date was like there's an anniversary and I'm trying to remember. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is what it is. This is uh, it was around this time. It was October 18th that he was convicted and sentenced mm-hmm. to 11 years in federal prison. It's the anniversary of his conviction. Yep. Yep. Yahoo. It sure is. It sure is. <laughs> so God. many. Happy anniversary to Al. <laughs> oh. Happy birthday. Happy uh, birthday. Happy jail birthday. Um, okay. So we know Al Capone the adult, but let's rewind mm-hmm. the clock, shall we? And talk about Al Capone the youth. So these notes are coming from the FBI. Born of an immigrant family in Brooklyn, New York in 1899, Al Capone quit school after the sixth grade and associated with the notorious street gang, becoming accepted as a member. So already pausing. This is a pretty common thing for members of the mob is that they stop school early and like this was you know, we're talking about the early 1900s. Kids didn't go to college, like, most of the time. You know, if you were a... Yale aspirations. No. If you were a lower middle class, even sometimes middle class and lower, you were most likely dropping out of school incredibly, at an incredibly young age, to go Mm. and work as a child, because we didn't have child labor laws. Incredible! Johnny Torrio was the street gang leader, and among the other members was Lucky Luciano, who would later attain his own notoriety. So Lucky Luciano is kind of like the, I guess like the the ultimate godfather of the New York mob. He like started the first real official mob family in New York, and he's like looked to as like one of the original U.S. mobsters. mobsters. I love that like... When we do notes, and sometimes you have a hard time reading, but you flew th- flew through Lucky Luciano, like it just rolled <laughs> off the back of your tongue. I was like, "Oh, she knows." I know Lucky Luciano. She knows. She knows from mobsters. Great, great, great. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm gonna so get excited. almost all of them correct. You'll you'll see. It's okay, it's cool. gonna be amazing. Around 1920, at Torrio's invitation, Capone joined Torrio in Chicago, where he had become an influential lieutenant and the Calissimo mob. So we're not in New York anymore. We're in New- in Chicago. There's like different mob sectors. Yeah. So like there's the New York mob. There's like the New Jersey mob, the Chicago mob. There's a Vegas situation going on. So there's like little hubs all across the U.S. Got it. Got it. The racket spawned by enactment of the Prohibition Amendment, illegal brewing, distilling, and distribution of beer and liquor were viewed as, quote, growth industries for these mobsters. So (laughs) they were all about getting the liquor to the people. Speakeasies were normally run by the mob. It was all about getting contraband, at this point, liquor. And it was a lucrative business. Sure. Torrio, abetted by Al Capone, intended to take full advantage of opportunities. The mob also developed interest in legitimate businesses in the cleaning and dyeing field and cultivated influence with receptive public officials, labor unions, and employees associations. So all this to say they're in illegitimate business. They're in legitimate business. You have to have legitimate business to cover up your illegitimate business. Well, you got to have a place to put the money, honey. You got to launder it, honey. 
Torrio soon succeeded to full leadership of the gang with the violent demise of Big Jim Colissimo, and Capone gained experience and expertise as his strong right arm. So we're seeing how it's shifting. The only way, really, that a mob boss is replaced is either he is really he dies. <laughs> he dies or he goes to prison for life, basically, uh, is what happened. Sure. But even He's... in prison, most of the time, they're still the boss and there's somebody who's the quote acting boss. So to oh, get like a shit. full new boss, it's usually because they did. the boss has probably been murdered or he died, like of natural causes. Right. But let's At this be, time let's be clear. It's murdered. the mob. Probably it's the mob. He's probably been murdered by either somebody who wants to take his place or a competing family. Right. Love to see it. So we're going to talk about his Capone's crime boss years. Mm. In 1925, Al Capone became boss when Torrio was seriously wounded in an assassination attempt and surrendered control and retired to Brooklyn. Sure. Sure. And that's interesting that I think that he re- that he surrendered control. Yeah. I think Torrio, not a strong boss. Not a strong you boss. You don't see that a lot. I wonder if he got paid off or something. If he was like, here's, if somebody was like, here's X amount of dollars, not just go away. Yeah. Go away. I think it also may depend on like what his wounds were. Like he, if he was, sure. if he was severely incapacitated, I think that's different. Right, right, right. But this, the FBI is making it seem like he got <laughs> shy, he got wounded, now he, and then he was like, I'm scared. I'm scared. <laughs> I don't want to do it anymore. Right. I don't want to do it anymore. No, please, please, please. I'm too fragile. Yeah. Too fragile. Which, same. (laughs) Uh, One assassination attempt on me and I might hide away. I will step down as the boss (laughs) of this family. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Capone had built a fearsome reputation in the ruthless gang rivalries of the period, struggling to acquire and retain, quote, racketeering rights to several areas of Chicago. Racketeering, illegal activity. I don't actually really understand what racketeering means, but normally mobsters are charged with racketeering. They're charged with I don't understand. Do you racketeer something? Is something racketeered? I think you racketeer. Do you racketeer? Yeah. Or you can be a racketeer. I don't know if it is a noun or an adjective. Like the orange was racketeered. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. We have to do more research into racketeering. And, and to our listeners, I'm sorry that we haven't. <laughs> but I do know that almost, if you're bringing down the mob, with the exception of Al Capone, a lot of big mobsters are brought down with racketeering charges. And they, they carry hefty sentences. Racketeering. Racketeering. I'm really curious yeah. now. Okay, I'm going to look this up later. To me, I've always associated it with, like, organized crime. Yeah, yeah. Racketeering. Racketeering. Capone's reputation grew as rival gangs were eliminated or nullified, and the suburb of Cicero became, in effect, a fiefdom of the Capone mob. Mm. You have to have a capital. You gotta have a capital. Capital, you gotta have a capital of the mob. From 1925 through 1929, Capone was the most visible mobster in America. He worked with local media and friendly politicians to cultivate an image as a businessman concerned with the welfare of his fellow Chicagoans. But Capone's tenure was also a period of rising rivalries with other Chicago gangsters, conflicts that frequently turned violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he was like with the mayor all the time. <laughs> love and that's it. what I, I mean. That's it. why it's so it. he's a perfect representation of why the mob is so fascinating to me historically Mm. is because we got to this level where like Capone was 
very close with like the leaders of Chicago. Right. Who are on the one hand denouncing the rising violence in the street caused by the mob. Right. Uh, but on the other hand, being friends with Capone. So it's just this very like so two-faced yep. thing. It's it's corruption. It's corruption. And we love corruption. Love I see. love when the good guys are bad. <laughs> oh it's just so predictable. They're paid to be bad. Mm-hmm. The escalating mob violence in Chicago culminated with the St. Valentine's Day Massacre on February 14, 1929. Seven members or associates of the Bugs Moran gang, rivals of Capone, were lined up against the wall of a garage by men posing as police and machine-gunned to death. What? Mm-hmm. That sounds like some yeah, shit, like, straight out of, like, the, you know, the Cold War, like, Soviet Union spy shit. Like, that's what that sounds yeah. like. That's crazy. Well, and, I mean, you have to also remember that before the mob became, like, a big focus in the U.S., the mob abroad oh, yeah. is also, like, severe, like, the Italian mob. Yeah. That, that shit's intense, and Oof. it's been around longer than this mob. Same with, like, the Russian mob. Very intense. Like, so Mm. the U.S. is not the only mob presence. That's another, like, thing we have to remind ourselves. But, like, the the brutality of it has always existed. Just, like, I feel like the the U.S. mob is probably the the most newer of, like, the the Western mobs, you know? (laughs) Right, 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 right. (laughs) (laughs) So the brutality of the St. Valentine's Day massacre murders made headlines throughout the country. Although Capone was at his vacation house near Miami at the time of the massacre and never arrested for the crime, he was widely suspected of ordering the massacre. Yeah. 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 You don't you don't kill like seven people from a competing mob family without the boss is okay. Right. No, sorry, you don't sorry, just do sorry, that. Al. I didn't, uh, the trigger finger slipped. Al, look, I got a little heated, and then I just, I killed all of them. I killed them all. So sorry. The St. Valentine's Day massacre happened just a month before Capone was arrested by federal agents for contempt of court for his failure to answer a federal subpoena, and he would ultimately be sentenced to six months on that charge. Sure. So the FBI is brewing at this point. Mm-hmm. The FBI is this like in. the FBI kind of had a little turnaround where they were like, mm, I don't know. I'm going to start looking at Capone and seeing how we can potentially take him down. Yeah. Which at this point, not even like all the politicians were behind. Like this was an unpopular effort. Right. Well, because then they would be taken down, too, because they were in cahoots with Capone. Correct. You see the books. You see who's being paid. Yep. Always protect your books, people. Always protect your books. So we're talking about the FBI. We're talking about Al Capone starting to get, you know, heat from federal investigators trying to kind of take him down. So let's talk about the criminal investigation. So the investigative jurisdiction of the Bureau of Investigation during the 1920s and early 1930s was more limited than it is now, and the gang warfare and depredations of the period were not within the Bureau's investigative authority. So we already have one problem is we're out of jurisdiction. We're out of jurisdiction. <laughs> As the problem, FBI. We, we don't have the power. As the Federal Bureau of Investigation. 
and, and we and we don't we can't we can't reach Chicago. No, no. It, too far. The Bureau's investigation of Al Capone arose from his reluctance to appear before a federal grand jury on March 12, 1929, in response to a subpoena, as Arden mentioned. On March 11th, his lawyers formally filed for postponement of his appearance, submitting a physician's affidavit dated March 5th, which attested that Capone had been suffering from bronchial pneumonia in Miami had been confined to bed from January 13th to February 23rd, and that it would be dangerous to Capone's health to travel to Chicago. Oh my God, of I'm course. sure this was true and absolutely valid. <clears throat> JK, LOL. <clears throat> very, very I'm sick. sick I can't. Been sick for five, week, five weeks now. <laughs> Come closer. <laughs> <laughs> his appearance before the grand jury was reset for march 20th so they gave him like eight days to convalesce. Yeah. they were like okay get better but you're you need to get your ass here on request of the u.s attorney's office the fbi agents obtained statements to the effect that capone had attended racetracks in the miami area that he had made a plane trip to binami and a cruise to Nassau, and that he had been interviewed at the office of the Dade County Solicitor, and that he had appeared in good health on each of these occasions. <laughs> so the FBI is like, I'm so sorry. We have the receipts. You seem fine. You're yeah. going to the racetracks. You're going on a cruise. You're talking to the county solicitor. Methinks you could come to Chicago. Chicago. It's no Miami. It is no cruise, but we think you should and can come here. Capone finally appeared before a federal grand jury in Chicago on March 20th, 1929, and completed his testimony on March 27th. As he left the courtroom, he was arrested by agents for contempt of court an offense for which the penalty could be one year in prison and a $1,000 fine. He posted a $5,000 bond and was released. The following May, on May 17, 1929, Al Capone and his bodyguard were arrested in Philadelphia for carrying concealed deadly weapons. <laughs> like, yeah, that's what he does. Mm-hmm. Within 16 hours, they had been sentenced to terms of one year each, Capone served his time and was released in nine months for good behavior on March 17th, 1930. So we're seeing skirmishes with the lie. He gets arrested for contempt of court. He gets he gets bond, is released. Then he gets caught with deadly weapons and he serves a year. Like we're leading up to something. The FBI yeah. is honing in on Capone. They're building Getting a case. him for these little small things, but not being able to stick anything tangible to him. Yeah. Because serving a year in prison as a mob boss is oh. great. <laughs> Piece of cake. These guys get life sentences at like 34 years old. Oh my God. So the fact that he's just doing a year, mm, piece of cake. Piece of cake. We're going to take a quick break. For a little word from our sponsors. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. 
But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts. Then on February 28, 1931, so the next year, Capone was found guilty in federal court on the contempt of court charge and was sentenced to six months in the Cook County Jail. He appealed that charge, and that was ultimately dismissed. Gotta love a flex. Gotta love mm-hmm, a flex. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, while all of this is happening, so people are trying to nail Capone for, like, actual charges, there's this meanwhile situation going on, which is kind of the meat of this episode, which has to do with taxes. So while all of this is going on, the U.S. Treasury Department had been developing evidence on tax evasion charges. In addition to Al Capone, they were doing charges against his brother, Ralph Bottles Capone. Ooh. <laughs> Don't know why he was named Bottles, Bottles. Or his nickname was Bottles. Maybe he was a drunk. Could be. Could be. So his brother, and then also charges on Jake Greasy Thumb Guzik. <laughs> love, love the nicknames. These, I love the nicknames. Frank Needy and other mobsters. So they are they're basically trying to take down the lot of them yeah. in Chicago with just tax evasion, which has never been done before. They've always tried to go after the violent crimes, but it's so much harder because you're these mob bosses are directing people, right? They're not right. actually engaging in the violence themselves. So it makes right. it a lot harder to pin things to them, especially we don't have real phone tapping. We don't have like Hard evidence is so hard to come by. You have to literally catch somebody with the gun in their hand as they're (laughs) shooting them. Put it down. I have to arrest you. Yeah. So they had to get creative and be like, what else can we charge him with to just like get like at least several years of this guy in prison to just break up the power? 
So this all culminates to, on June 16th, 1931, Al Capone pled guilty to tax evasion and prohibition charges. He then boasted to the press that he had struck a deal for a two and a half year sentence, but the presiding judge informed him that the judge was not bound by any deal. Capone then changed his plea to not guilty, which I love. I love that Capone was like, I just got an amazing deal. And the judge heard it and went, honey, I don't have to go by the deal. No. I'm the judge. Pow, 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 pow. So now he's going to try to fight the co- the case by yeah. pleading not guilty and, like, hoping to get a not guilty verdict from right. a jury of his peers. Right. But I feel like it's pretty obvious if you have paid your taxes or not. It is. But, again, you're, you have to prove that he's not paying taxes on income that that they don't have proof of necessarily exist right so like they had they had to get his like actual books not because remember there's legitimate business and illegitimate business so you have to prove that there is a significant amount of income in most likely the illegitimate business that is not being paid that's not being like given tax to the irs So you have to, first of all, prove that these transactions exist. Right. And then be able to say, no taxes on this. And it's like, I mean, it's millions and millions of dollars, really. So that's the key. Because, again, this is 1931. Like, we don't have TurboTax. You know what I mean? (laughs) It's all done by pen and paper. So you need, like, a physical book. Right. And to be able to look at the transactions. And you have to have somebody who knows what the book is saying. Right. To testify, which is ultimately what ended up happening. And also, like, this is the time where Capone could have easily and I think probably attempted to, like, buy off the jury. That also Oh, happens. hell yeah. So him being, pl- like, found guilty, which, spoiler, <laughs> is shocking, quite frankly. Considering all the people who had to turn on him right. and not be, I guess, strong-armed into... Into backing. You know. Yeah, into, like, yeah. backing down and taking a seat and letting... And, and yeah, and siding with him. That's crazy. Yeah. So, as I spoiled, on October 18th, 1931, Capone was convicted of tax evasion after a full trial and on November 24th was sentenced to 11 years in federal prison fined $50,000 and charged 7,692 for court costs Ooh. in addition to a $215,000 plus interest due on back taxes which this is 1930 this is so much money it's a ton of money while awaiting the results of appeals Capone was confined to Cook County Jail upon denials because he did get denied all of his appeals he entered the u.s penitentiary in atlanta serving his sentence there and also at my favorite place in the world alcatraz i've seen his cell i've been to alcatraz it's my favorite place in the world shout out to alcatraz (laughs) and this is why i love this episode so much just because i knew that the alcatraz bit was coming yeah it's coming it's coming I love it. That's so good. So 11 years for the biggest mob boss in all of the United States, you could argue. On tax evasion. On tax evasion. So tax wild. Evasion. 
wild. So wild. yeah, he was never. I don't want to say never, but like he wasn't put away for murdering seven people or ordering, you know, anything really to do with violent crime, which is insane because we only know him as a violent gangster. (laughs) He's not famous for not paying his bills. Right. The U.S. Treasury Department took him down. It did. It did. Uh, Shout out to the U.S. Treasury Department. Shout out. Shout out. They took him down. Downtown. So we're going to talk about Capone's later years. Yes, let's. He was released from prison in November of 1939, then underwent several months of treatment for syphilis at a Baltimore hospital. He was released after having served seven years, six months, and 15 days, and having paid all fines and back taxes, which I love. He was like, oh, okay, here's $300,000. Here you go. Take it. Take the money. Following his release, he never publicly returned to Chicago. He had become mentally incapable of returning to gainland politics. In 1946, his physician and a Baltimore psychiatrist, after examination, both concluded Capone then had the mentality of a 12-year-old child. So we think this is the syphilis? Oh, I think this is the, yeah. I think this is, this the is syphilis. definitely the syphilis. Right. And also, it's like he spent six, like a handful of years on Alcatraz Island, which was like notoriously horrific for people's mental health. Like it was just, you know, like yeah. it's a, it's a, it was a bad situation. But I all, but I think most of this has to do with like early signs of syphilis, syphilis, you know, or like a decay of syphilis. Right. Afterward, the famous gangster spent much of his time out of the public spotlight, fishing and playing cards at. The Palm Island, which was a mansion that he owned in Florida since 1928. And in the 1940s, he became one of the first civilians to receive penicillin for syphilis, although it was too late to cure him. Pays to be number one, baby. (laughs) My God. I love that everybody knew. It was like, we got to test this drug. Go get Capone. He he got the syphilis. Go get Capone. He's got the syphilis. Oh. In January 1947, the 48-year-old Capone suffered a stroke, then came down with pneumonia, and he died at his Florida home on January 25th. Capone was buried at Chicago's Mount Olivet Cemetery near the graves of his father and one of his brothers. In 1950, the Capone family had the remains of three men moved to Mount Carmel Cemetery in Hillside, Illinois. wonder why they moved them. I don't know. It's just three years after. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, oop, wrong place. Sorry. 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 <laughs> Let's go over here. Yeah. Yeah. It, a, a real profound decline. Yeah. Which also I feel like, like, we just remembered this snapshot of Capone, which actually wasn't a very long period of his life. You know, it was just a couple of years yeah. where he was the Capone. head of, like, all of mobbing in the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, had what I think is one of the easiest sentences that a mob boss has gotten that has been sentenced with something because it was 11 years when most of the mob bosses especially after him got at least 30 plus years if not a life sentence god and then he gets out and then just like just decays he just decays right from syphilis very rapid decline. Yeah. Very rapid decline. Shouldn't kill people. It's bad for your health. Okay. Let's end on my favorite thing, which is, you know, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts, fun facts. A lot of fun facts about Al Capone. Yeah. Obviously. So I'm going to start off with a fun fact about my, you guessed it, favorite place on earth, Alcatraz. 
As I already spoiled, he was one of the earliest federal prisoners at Alcatraz. In May 1932, 33-year-old Capone began his sentence for tax evasion at the U.S. Penitentiary in Atlanta, which he was 33 years old. Isn't that crazy that, like, at the at the height of his power, he was my age? <laughs> Can you imagine me being oh, the boss to end all bosses? Absolutely. You would be absolutely. a queen. Absolutely. I can, too. I can you would see be a queen. 33 years old. 33 oh years old is when he was sent to prison. That's crazy. Anyways, yep. two years later in 1934, so he's in Atlanta currently. Two years later in 1934, he and a group of fellow inmates were sent by train to California, then transported to the recently opened federal penitentiary on Alcatraz Island in the San Francisco Bay. The maximum security prison intended to hold criminals who are especially violent or had other disciplinary problems had received its first contingent of federal inmates earlier that August. Because Capone wasn't a troublemaker while locked up in Atlanta, he was likely sent to Alcatraz as a way for the government to generate publicity for its tough new public facility. <laughs> They're like, look, we're sending Al Capone there. You remember him? Remember Al Capone? The most violent man in America? Yeah, that's right. See, Alcatraz is worth it, people. This is why we're sending these criminals to Alcatraz. Yep. While at Alcatraz, Capone, who had been diagnosed with syphilis during a medical exam at the Atlanta Penitentiary, started showing signs of the disease, including dementia. As his condition worsened, prison doctors treated him with malaria injections. Always a great idea. Uh, you know, I mean, oh, it's a great at idea. this point, this is 1930, mid-1930s. They're just like, you know what? Here's medicine. Right. We're going to see if this works. We're not quite sure. We think not, but you never know. Look, I like it can't, it can't be worse than no. dying of syphilis. So let's give it a let's shot. Give it a shot. So he was treated for syphilis with malaria injections because of fevers that he was having during his syphilis bouts that matched kind of malaria symptoms. But instead of um, sort of curing syphilis, the treatment nearly proved fatal for Capone. Shocking. In January of 1939, he was released from Alcatraz and transferred to the Federal Correctional Institute at Terminal Island near Los Angeles to serve his one-year misdemeanor sentence. And... You can visit, so you can see a cell in Alcatraz, and you can see a cell at Eastern State Penitentiary, um, which was another jail that he served at. Um, and I'm sure you can probably, I'm sure that the Atlanta one has something for something. him as well. Yeah. Something. Yeah. The Eastern State Penitentiary one is probably the best because at that time he was still like a high profile mobster. So he had like lovely bedding, he had a rug, oh, he had yeah, a lamp. Yeah. yeah. He had like a side chair. Like it, it's very <laughs> luxurious <laughs> because he was like the Al Capone the, at that the, point. Yeah. Yeah. So funny. So that's oh the Alcatraz God. fun facts. Ah. So we're going to end on a fun fact about Elliot Ness. Elliot Ness, and this is all coming from history.com. Elliot Ness's role in Capone's downfall was exaggerated. Thanks to federal agent Ness's best-selling memoir, The Untouchables, which spawned a TV series and movie he has been credited as the man who took down Capone, but lies. In oh. fact, much of the memoir was embellished by its co-author, Oscar Fraley, 
As a prohibition agent, Ness and a small team of men raided illegal breweries and other places linked to Capone's bootlegging operations around Chicago. Because the agents supposedly refused to accept bribes, they were dubbed the untouchables by the press. Although Ness's work helped lead to Capone's indictment for prohibition violations, the government instead focused on prosecuting the mobster for tax evasion, like we talked about. And his 1931 conviction on those charges is what sent him to prison. Ness went on to Mm. serve as Cleveland's director of public safety and made an unsuccessful bid for mayor in 1947. His later years were marred by, ironically, heavy drinking. Elliot, no. I know. I know. It's like, you know, monkey see, monkey do. Do as I say, not as I do. And he died at his home in Cooler Spot, Pennsylvania in 1957, the year The Untouchables was published. Wow. I don't know. I will say The Untouchables film is very, it's very good. Kevin Costner's in it. Sean Connery pretty much plays Sean Connery, but he is also in it. It's just a great, like, if you like mob films, it's a great one. Yeah. You know, it's just, like, very Hollywood mob. Um, Robert De Niro plays Al Capone. I think he does a great job. So definitely recommend that if you're interested. And it tells, and it is literally, like, the story of it. And obviously embellishing Sweet Elliot Ness's involvement, but involvement nonetheless yeah we're not here to tell elliot that he's not important he's not yep very don't want to bust his bubble but yeah i think what we can take away from this episode is don't evade your taxes right don't okay two things don't kill people and don't evade your taxes right if you take anything away from today let that be the two things that you leave with yeah because they'll get you and they might not get you in the murders, but they will eventually get you. They'll get you. It'll all catch up to you. Yeah. And with that, that is the end of our Al Capone episode. And as always, we love you so, so much. And if you like what you heard, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Get Civical. You can read us. You can review us. You can subscribe to us. We love you so, so much. And we will see you next Wednesday. Goodbye.